simultaneously in every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total photonic reversal. Photonic reversal. With your hosts, Conan Neutron and Brenna Betts. Broadcasting from the top floor of the Radio Milk World headquarters in Oakland, California. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. I'm, I'm from the South. <laughs> I'm a Southern Belle. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. I'm known for many things, and strong invectives are one of them. Conan, you have a lot going on right now. It means something. Well, we all deserve to be recognized. See anything wrong with, you know, being into the stuff you're into. 150 people with a massive crowd, you know. We'll sing you a song. You may be led astray. Meatloaf has a Christmas album. What, what an excellent professional segue that was. Well, I'm very curious about Math Rock. You know, I kind of know the sound man for Rob Zombie. I'm presenting you the illusion of choice. We will impress you later. Yeah, it's a very good question. And I like it because it's at the beginning, middle, and the end. Could not be more professional. Get you pumped up. We have answers. I just want to bring something up that I noticed via postings on the internet. That's like a science thing, right? That's right! That's right! Ooh, coming at you. That's right. You're here. You're here. We're here. It's the one, the only... Protonic reversal. Thank you for tuning in. Hello, Brenna. Hello. (laughs) And how are you this lovely evening? We're going to be talking to Mr. Jim Green. It's exciting stuff. Are you excited? Yes. Are you excited like a concert crowd? No. I'm working on it. (laughs) We'll get there. We got some time to build up to it. Uh, Today's guest, of course, is none other than the one and only Mr. Tim Green of the the Champs, later (laughs) C4AM95, the the fucking Champs, uh, also of Nation of Ulysses and Louder Studios fame. A great studio with... uh, with great things going on, really, uh, and it's uh, it's 
gonna be a pleasure to talk to this guy. I've been I've been trying to put this together for quite some time. I already got a note to tell him that Graham Hick says hello from the chat box. So it's good to <laughs> it's good to have Graham, that. Graham Hick. Graham Hick, yes, of uh, the mighty Gersh, also of All the Rock, parentheses A to Z, here on Radio Note, Mondays at, um, it's like, it's like 7 our time, so 10 Eastern, yeah, yeah, there we go. 10 p.m.? 10 p.m., yes, yes. P.m. Yes, okay. yes. All those hours there's in a, a day. Lot of, lot of, there's a lot of different hours, for sure. There are at least 24 of them. One of the many, many great shows here on our our station that we broadcast from that we know and love, uh, Radio Nope, and it's uh, it's a great family. If you have yet to check out the rest of the Radio Nope programming, I would suggest that you do because it is excellent. We have uh, the best in talk. We have the best in uh, music shows. There's all kinds of amazing things. There was just a special this last Saturday, uh, a David Bowie special done by uh, Mr. Uh, Jacques Granger from. Songs from the floorboard is Jacques. Jacques. Jacques from uh, Memphis. I, I have a, a subject in I, regards I, to that. Can I assembled you, a... You, uh, you want to keep going? Uh, yeah, I'm going to. I was going to okay. say, because this is funny. I, I, assemb- oh, <laughs> I assembled funny. An, outso- an outdoor bench while listening to that David Bowie special. That's so... From Ikea. Dad-alicious. <laughs> well, hey, it's got a... <laughs> did, you see, did you see those tables we had? That one looked like a U. I was like, that's not supposed to look like that. <laughs> <laughs> Tables shouldn't look normally look like use. No, generally speaking, not. So, uh, please continue. So, what were we, what were we gonna oh, say? Um, I've heard differing opinions about Bowie and uh, listening to him at this time, and That's I was curious to know what you think. It's always a good time to listen to <clears throat> David Bowie. Well, yeah, like like, I, like what is too too soon, man? Yeah. Too, what what to listen to him? No, okay. No, he's what about getting records of his? Look, man, th- this this is. So this we're talking about an artist that put out a record three days before he died. Yeah, three days before he died. Assuming, assumingly, that he knew he w- he would be going at that time too, because of the content. Right. I mean, it's definitely, if not existential, certainly kind of deals with like lar- lar- yeah, p- poignant and deals with large, largely. Mortality themes, I guess, might be the, the 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 good way to put that. That's a good band name. Mortality themes. Yeah. <laughs> mortality memes. Yeah, uh, here's we're from mortality themes. Come check us uh, Tuesday night at Bender's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is where they would play. The, the, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> no, I'm not giving my stamp on that. Yeah, you're gonna 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 retract that. No, not relevant enough. Uh, but I mean, I think. You know, one of the best things about David Bowie is that he has this catalog that just, I mean, it stands the test of time. So listening to it is fantastic. Like, it's great to listen to it whenever. And I think he would like that. I think, yeah, I think the subject um, that I heard was brought in a place, from a place of a, a natural pessimistic observation that yeah, why now? Right why not two weeks ago? Because it's always great, but now you want to listen to it. Now you appreciate it. That's how people always go, though. I mean, I'm sure there's people yeah. that were, you know, every artist that has passed on recently, they're like, oh, Motorhead's great. How come I never listened to this before? You know, it's, yeah. That's, that's the nature of the beast, right? That's true. That's, that's uh, I'm sure there's like a abstract concept or something for that. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but 
Yeah, probably. I mean, so that's a legitimate concern. You heard that, you mean? You heard people I, saying I that? I listened to, yeah, um, conversation on that subject. I mean, I can understand being like, oh, no, you care, like, to a certain degree. But it's like, whatever, man. People, sometimes it takes extreme events for that. It'd be great if everybody could, you know, well, worthy artists could have the uh, attention that they deserve. I mean, Bowie had plenty of attention. He was huge on, like, many different waves. You know, he had different yeah. eras and everything. I mean, I, it's funny because I heard the discussion and then the following day I was going to play him on the jukebox at a bar and the person I was picking songs with was like, no, 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 not that, not tonight. And I thought that in that moment it would make the bar like raucous and fun. Kind of like be a unifying, grand unifying theme. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, if it's a good enough song that's like accessible to enough people and everyone knows it, then they'll just start singing along and be happy. And that's like a good thing when someone passes away to <clears throat> acknowledge and love their memory. Although I could see also for some people, maybe it'd make them sad. But as celebrity, like that's the thing, like people usually, especially when they go naturally, like mm-hmm. unfortunately cancer is a natural death these days. Yeah. <laughs> tragic but yeah you know it's as as natural as you're gonna get for something like that but yeah especially you know at that age like set almost 70 whatever man lived a lot lot of life let's let's be clear i mean it's sad that he's gone but the man lived a lot of life i feel like most people who you know like we didn't know him personally so then most Uh, of our speak for yourself brenna oh you know him you had him on speed dial yeah on your ipad i'd be like Hey, Bowie, so I'm not sure about this making a murderer show. What do you think? <laughs> Can you give me your advice on this button-up shirt? This? Should I maybe save this button-up shirt for some other time? You know, a friend of mine, Charlie, from uh, Minneapolis, actually, there, he writes all these stories that are, it's just like that, like but with Prince. So just, oh. you know, as if Prince was just a buddy of his that... You know, I would to, definitely he, refer to him for fashion advice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, Prince, you think this shirt goes with these pants? It's like, oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Is this good for this event? Oh, more gli- more glitter. Okay. More ruffles. More ruffles. Too many ruffles. Not enough. Okay. Yeah, definitely. The answer for Prince would pretty much always be not enough ruffles. I think. Oh, suede is better. Okay. Um, which was a complete derailment of what you're saying I'm sorry so I don't even remember I've moved on they thought it was too soon I guess with the with the with the memorializing I suppose like that just seems weird to me I don't know yeah it seemed weird to me I mean I get it I I think that it's coming from a place of pessimism like I said sure where like you're assuming that no one cared before it's like, well, no, it's not that no one cares. It's just that, like, there's so much out there, as we've talked about. Many, Things many do times, get yeah. lost. Well, and even and sometimes stuff isn't even lauded when it's around. Sometimes people don't even find out about bands till they're well after they're gone. Or yeah, you know, it's, we've I mean, all yeah. The death movie was fantastic because, like, oh, well, at least two of those three guys are still around, and they get to like, you know, totally have this crazy experience of yeah. based off of something that they had written off. Pretty much long. <laughs> talking about lamb's bread. Talking about lamb's bread. <laughs> I need to sample that so bad. I want to see that again just so I can get that in the damn <laughs> sample board. It's such a great. What are you talking mind. about lamb's bread? No one else. Like I even looked like on like a, a YouTube or something, and it, it's not anywhere. Like so, I think that's like a an untapped treasure of that movie. Which that to line? me, yeah. Which to me, that's like a Spinal Tap level like moment. That's like yeah, it, like in Spinal Tap, uh, not Spinal Tap in. <laughs> 
It's a lot like Spinal Tap. The sticks behind the music. At one point, uh, the they they're talking to the uh, oh god the Tommy Shaw Tommy Shaw. I was gonna say the one hair farmer guitarist that doesn't look like a lion. The other guy, and they ask him about a review, and they're like, "Oh, it's this review. It's uh, you were compared to a parking lot full of whale vomit." And he says, really? I mean, a little whale vomit, sure, but a parking lot full. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> and I was like, "This is great! This is <laughs> this is amazing! It's <laughs> pretty great." A little whale vomit, sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a lot. The whole parking lot—it's a, a lot of park. That's a lot of whale vomit. Yeah. I mean, like, how much can a whale vomit anyway? Yeah, what would you have to do to get whales that? I mean, also, like, actually, you is... know what you'd have to do is you have to have Sarah Palin endorse Donald Trump. Hey, Whoa. did you see that? Oh my God, that is just like. I know that it happened. I don't know what happened it's... as a consequence. <sighs> it's a central casting for an Ipecac for me. Just immediately want to make. I'm just like, uh, it's, uh, it's two things that I despise hanging out together. i have to show you a funny video that i found on vine or actually my friend found it and sent it to me okay it makes fun of trump it's really funny it's definitely not like a reveal across the radio it's more of a you had to see it kind of thing gotcha you know but it makes fun of him it's pretty hilarious well i i didn't like that guy when he was just some dumb billionaire like yeah, like I I hated that guy. I've been I've been stridently consistent about my dislike of Donald Trump. You know that the UK started a p- petition to have him banned from ever coming to the UK, and the Parliament. Actually, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, they have to acknowledge it because it got five hundred thousand signatures. <laughs> so what, what? Like they have to like. Are, I don't know. This, the this is a real thing. This isn't like a like you know share if you agree, like if you. I didn't do any background (laughs) checking. And as I've learned recently, important information does require background checking. Because stupid people put things that are fake on the internet, which is just stupid. But apparently if if a petition gets, I think, actually a surprisingly low number of signatures, I think it's like 90,000 or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they like have worldwide, or do they have to be citizens? No, of the, citizens. Okay, 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 okay. So you can't just like not I'm just starting anybody. an internet petition to outlaw oatmeal. Yeah, it's no, not going <laughs> to no. fly, right? They don't have to debate that. Okay. No, it has to make it to the floor if of the parliament if it reaches a certain number of signatures. Okay. You don't think I did because there was a whole bunch of people like just opining about Donald Trump on the for the parliament. So I imagine that probably was a discussion from that, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now I see what that was all about. That wasn't just a random thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's. I think people are just afraid. Which is the funny thing about his. I mean, I haven't been following the things he says because I know that it'll just infuriate yeah, me, yeah. and that's really not a positive way to use my energy anyway. So I know he's stupid. I know he said some very racist, stupid things, and I don't understand why people follow that because, sure, like... He's just saying what everyone thinks, man. No, they say what maniacs think. And you apparently are a maniac. But also, he's kind of breaking the system, too, in, like, the worst, most, like, jokey way that you could make a mockery of our government. Which means that if he were under some awful circumstance able to win, mm-hmm. it would be a complete mockery of our government. 
And I feel like the the implications to the rest of the world would just be like a horrible backlash. Like the the puppets or the the people, the puppeteers in our government, <laughs> oh. they can't allow that to happen. It would be a complete mockery. Oh, I of thought them. you meant I thought the puppeteers at the protests that have like the big like twenty foot tall puppets, <laughs> which I'm always like, Not wow, actual puppeteers, well crafted. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even even when I'm like, why did you make a puppet of Gavin Newsom? What did he do? <laughs> <laughs> but there's, no, there's I mean like the metaphorical, like the, the Illuminati of. No, we're talking about metaphorical puppets, Conan. Please, <laughs> yeah. oh, sorry, sir. You can't. I mean, sure, there's probably an actual puppet of Donald Trump, and someone is I, I probably actually pulling the strings. For as much as he's a maniac, and I despise everything that that he believes in, and and what he's trumping up. So to speak. <laughs> uh, I I understand what you're talking about, which is ultimately that, like you know, it is an insurgent populist campaign that that has the establishment scared which i suppose if you're against the particular establishment which is rotten and terrible if you ask me which would be the republican party that's a great thing and in some ways you know the bernie sanders campaign is like the the progressive populism whereas the donald trump campaign is more of the um (laughs) uh the traditional (laughs) george wallace style i guess (laughs) You know, like the like, let's not like have the races mix or like society itself will end kind of like just wrong side of history sort of thing. But they're both, yeah. they're both, a, it's all populism. It's yeah. definitely a populist it's thing. also in some ways extreme in certain directions, which I think does reflect where people's heads are at these days, which is also scary because it creates a lot of tension. And I think this tension is what is creating a lot of violence and that separates people, which in some ways does benefit the puppeteers because if people are separate, then they're distracted and they turn on each other instead of on the government or the people making decisions Mm -hmm. and aren't capable of like actually coming together to do something good that might benefit them, but rather creating more problems for themselves, which it serves a lot of people in power and that's sad it is let's play a song okay Thank you. 
That was Extra Man by the fucking champs. And before that, before that, we had uh, also another tune by the fucking champs. That was Valkyrie is Dying. That is, the, those are both, uh, the latter one there is off of album three. And then the Extra Man, the one that kind of has that Thin Lizzy sort of thing going on, is off oh, of. Oh, yeah, Thin Lizzy. Is off of the album. I remember them. Four. <laughs> so yeah they had n- numerical designations for uh, all their records so have we discussed this before i'm having deja vu uh probably but uh, we're gonna have tim green on shortly so let's just listen to one more tune and then uh we'll talk to the man himself about why numerical designations are the best album titles this is you've got a thirst portland <laughs> That was You've Got a Thirst, Portland, 
from the fucking champs that was another great jam off of the three record so roman numeral three people it's the roman numeral three and i believe on the phone right now we have mr tim green tim thanks for joining us man it's a it's great to finally have you on yeah thanks so uh since we we played a couple songs in a row we played one of three one of four the i'm just gonna jump right into it the champs uh, and you started off as the champs and then you briefly changed your name because of the uh the tequila guys not not the team Wait, the, the the band that did tequila huh they were called the champs that's right right yep. you know da, na, 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 na. oh yeah that's uh tequila yeah that tequila so that's how they say it 60s they were a uh, 60s band i think something like that anyway whatever so then you change it to to c4 am 95 was how how it was spelled but it was champs pronounced champs which yeah. I thought, which I thought was great. Probably not so great in the internet age, but yeah. It was like a secret code. If you uh, if you did like a double horn sign with your hands and put your hand over the word, it would turn it into champs. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I actually didn't know that. <laughs> and then at some point, then you changed up to uh, the fucking champs, and then it, it sort it, it stayed the fucking champs for the duration of, of the band, which is sort of which I thought was great because it's sort of like oh. It's getting, gonna change it again we're the fucking champs god damn it well like it like to get confusing it's far more <laughs> badass it's well it, it also reminds me of uh you know danger is my middle name like that level of, like bravado and i always thought that was like a neat thing well the whole thing you know we went through a lot of other ideas for band names like a million different ones we actually decided on one and then it was like the next day we just acted like that conversation had never happened. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why. We just, we just couldn't settle on anything. And then uh, we were getting ready for a, a U.S. tour, and I made T-shirts that said the fucking champs. And I, you know, I didn't like consult with the other guys. I just thought they would think it was funny, and uh, it just kind of stuck after that. How funny! So, so if you decided on. Uh... Uh, on something different that would this the band would have just been like yep yeah, that's cool yeah i didn't even intend it to be like the new band name i just thought it would be a funny <laughs> shirt you know but i do love that despite you know the band name change from uh you know the early cassettes to the the three record and whatnot that you had you you kept the numerical designation thing like led zeppelin style and i thought that was, mm-hmm. i always thought that was pretty good like you always knew like oh what's the new champs record called oh it's called four it's called five <laughs> Like you always yeah. knew what it was going to be. Yeah, I figured it'd be easy to remember. And was was that was that like an homage, or is that just something where you're like, ah, we don't have to think of a title and argue about it? Although apparently titles yeah. aren't that big of a deal if you're <laughs> if you just wandered in with the fucking champs. Kind of both. Because to me, it always seems like uh, what the champs did. There was sort of a kind of healthy humor about big awesome rock and roll, but then also kind of like a celebration of that as well. Uh, but like yeah, maybe, totally. maybe without the, <laughs> without the indulgent parts that people think of with those bands and indulging in stuff that, you know, are a, a little more on the nerdy side. And I always thought that was kind of a neat MO that yeah. you guys had. Thanks. So uh, Santa Cruz is where you, uh, you guys originally started up. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, before I was in the band, the, I think it started in 92 with Tim and Josh. Uh, they were originally, the two of them were just playing guitar. 
and they had just had one amplifier as a Fender Champ, and that's why they were called the Champs. Oh. Wow, that's good. That's a good thing those guys didn't have, like, a, I don't know, like, an amp with a dumber name. <laughs> if we had a Marshall, maybe we'd be called the Marshalls. I was just going to say the Marshalls, yeah. Orange? <laughs> we're the oranges. <laughs> Wait, no. Can I change that? Damn. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, so... They only had the one amp, huh? They just like traded back and forth. Where they like, <laughs> well, they just both plugged into the same amp. It's you know, it's a tiny amp. It's like a eight inch speaker or something. Yeah, yeah. And just but eventually they added another person. Uh, Adam Cantwell started playing guitar, and Tim switched to drums, and then they became a three piece with you know two guitars and drums. Sure. And did, did they get a second amp at that point, or were they still playing through the one? <laughs> they did. Yeah, Adam <laughs> brought a amp and. The first time I the first time I saw them play, uh, my old band was on tour, and we played with them in Santa Cruz in '94. And they uh, they each had a Fender like twin. It's too, it's too bad they couldn't do like a Brian May and have like twenty Fender Champs cranked at once or something along those lines. But I think that'd be logistically <laughs> yeah. infeasible. Yeah, it would be cool. And this was Nation Ulysses, or this was Lice, or what was what? Where it was Lice. Okay. And I was I was directed in, in the chat box to actually ask about Lice because it's a uh, it's a little known thing that uh, that that was a band that you were into between fucking champs and Nation Ulysses and I don't really know that much about it but you guys weren't around for that long right yeah like a couple years um, we didn't put out much though we were on maybe two or three compilations but we didn't never put out anything of our own, like a proper release. Although there's actually, there's a guy in England that's been in contact with me for a couple of years who wants to put out uh, sort of like a retrospective of our, all our stuff. Nice. And because uh, that was, I mean, the one ever, uh, the, God, there was the one, the one record I'm thinking of, uh, God, it's, 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 was it, it was like, fuck you, this is lice or something along those lines. Was that like a, it was very confrontational. I remember that the one, the one thing I I saw maybe it was like a poster or something along those lines. I don't I don't, I don't you might be thinking of someone else. Maybe I'm you know I think I, it's because you have fucking and the fucking champs. I'm just opinion fucking to everything. I think. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good expletive. As far as expletives go, yeah. <laughs> so you all right? So and that's again after you come from the East Coast because you uh, lived in. Uh, the, uh, you, the East Coast for quite some time. Uh, the the wonderful nation of Ulysses uh, was a mm-hmm. was a it was an outfit you spent a serious amount of time with as well. So what what brought you to coming out to the West Coast originally? Um, I just wanted to get out of DC. You know, I grew up there for most of my childhood and was sick of it. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. The weather. I, I originally. As I originally was going to move to San Francisco. I, um, yeah, I left DC in October of '92, and I had a plan to move to San Francisco and start a studio with a friend of mine. I actually even had like a place, like a room. It was like it was like a closet <laughs> in someone's house in right, Mission. Right. And uh, I helped uh, Rachel from Kicking Giant move to Olympia on the way out. And when I got to Olympia, I realized I really only had enough money to you know, gas money to get down there and then I'd be broke. I kind of didn't want to get to San Francisco and be broke. <laughs> so I ended up just in Olympia for a while. Which is a much easier town to, we'll go and say, live a little bit uh, meagerly 
than yeah, San Francisco, I, for sure. Yeah, the pay from Kicking Giant um, let me stay in his room in the Red House for a few months, and then I ended up building a, a bedroom in the garage and paying like 70 bucks a month in rent. Wow. Wow. Wait. <laughs> That's real? That's a real thing? Yeah. You actually yeah. did that? Wow. I, I think if I worked it out by square footage, I'd pay $70 per month for this chair. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, things are much different now. But you did end up eventually opening up a studio. You you ended up you ended up starting up louder uh, later down the line. Yeah. So you did eventually yeah, get to well, achieve that <laughs> that goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, yeah. I was in Olympia for almost three years, and then when I did finally move down to San Francisco in '95, I hooked up with the friend who I had originally planned on starting the studio with, and we built a studio in the basement of the house that we were living in in Vernal Heights. And that was and, the original uh, Louder, right? Well, it was actually at that time it was called the Space Station because that's what my friend wanted to call it and he had <laughs> he had a lot more equipment than I had so I kind of deferred to him. Question, was there a pedal called the Space Station that was nearby that he named the studio after? Uh, no, there is like some oh. I think there's like some Rack mount gear, it's like a lexicon or something called a space station. That was a call back to the amp thing, by the way. But oh, <laughs> oh yeah, they can't, mm-hmm. they can't all be winners. So, <laughs> so and that and and you, you end up starting up louder. And for for years, I mean, for years, louder was a mainstay uh, for for San Francisco. Sort of like a, for a certain type of band, a sort of um, you know, a heavier, weirder kind of rock and roll music. It seemed like you, you had a good clientele that was. I guess for for me, it was pretty good to like see the like, oh, I kind of know a band's going to sound a certain way to a certain degree if it Tim Green records them. Like you're going to hear something cool like Drunk Horse or like The Mass or like something that's like, oh wow, that's awesome. Like I don't, I don't know who that is, but Tim Green recorded them, so <laughs> it's not going to be like, oh, that's a reggae rastabilly funk, you know? It's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you talking about lamb's bread? You talking about lamb's bread? <laughs> No, no one's talking about lamb's bread. Uh, so, and you, for many years, it was a, a lot of sort of a scene mainstay. Then you pulled up stakes and moved to Grass Valley. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting because, and for people not from California, Grass Valley's up in the foothills. So if, you, if you're heading up to, uh, heading up to like like Lake Tahoe or something along those lines, it's you know it's a beautiful area, but it's not exactly, from my personal knowledge, and I could be wrong about this, it's not exactly a, a rock and roll, a nexus of uh, rock and roll. Yeah. So how did you end up picking Grass Valley? Was that something that you had planned for a while? or I, You know, I'd been wanting to leave San Francisco since about 2000 because uh, a lot of reasons. You know, I just you know, wanted to find a place where I could live, where I could afford more space for the studio because the, the old ladder in San Francisco was like the first floor of my house, which was, it was a decent size for a house studio. But in order to afford something bigger than that, I really couldn't do it in San Francisco. And uh, basically, like this, this was about as far as I had to go from the city to be able to afford the kind of space I wanted, and also you know live in a place that has some culture and some decent food and nice weather. And I I started coming up here in 2006 just to swim in the river in the summer, and uh, I just started like finding more and more things about the city that I liked the area. Yeah, I used to go up there in the summer. My uh, my aunt had a place. It was, it's a great place to be. It's I love Grass Valley. I spent my 30th birthday there <coughs> camping oh, with yeah. a friend, and we decided yeah, that it's... it's great and we should always go back. 
<laughs> it's beautiful, and people are super nice, and it's really cheap and great weather. Yeah. What? Well, so I and yeah, I we started. Oh, go ahead. We started Jason. looking for we started looking for a place up here in 2008, and uh, spent a couple years, you know, putting offers on places and stuff's not working out, and just went through a lot of stuff and finally found this place in uh, 2009. But then it took a year in escrow because it was a short sale and there was all this other stuff going on. And so we didn't actually get the place until summer of 2010. Interesting. And what, and I always think it's it's fascinating when you have a place like a studio that's not in a major urban area that it's like the idea of the destination studio, right? So, you know, unless you're it's a band from Auburn, it's probably you're probably not going to be local, so you're going to be your head. Hopefully, will be in the recording of the record, and it's going to. And again, I'm speaking from theoretical knowledge. I've never done it. Uh, you will have you'll you'll be removed a little bit from your daily life, which can produce different results. Yeah, like there's that one in the North Bay. I can't whose name completely escapes me. And the one Tom Waits hangs out at. I mean, he doesn't, oh, hang, he doesn't hang out there. Yeah, it's Prairie in Sun, Sebastopol. Yeah. Tom Waits isn't like mopping the floors or anything. I mean, like, he goes and records <laughs> yeah. there. I did some records at Prairie Sun, and I think that was, you know, part of the inspiration of like, oh, you know, you could be in this rural area and have, still have a studio and have it be kind of like a retreat kind of getaway thing where people aren't distracted by stuff at home, at, you know, wherever they live. Well, and that's pretty fascinating, too, because with you know, with culture kind of being the way it is, it's like we live in a state of like almost permanent distraction. So it, it seems like it'd be like a really interesting way to make a record. And uh, like, I've loved everything I've heard. You know, I think that porch did that last record uh, with, mm-hmm. with you, with you up there. That's like easily their best one, best compositionally and sound wise. I mean, it sounds great. Oh, thanks. I love that general release most stuff you did. I mean, everything I've heard has been kick ass. Like it's, it sounds like you got to, I mean, I look at the pictures and like, ah, oh, it looks beautiful. It's, Amazing. It is, it is beautiful. I mean, I, I haven't been in the studio, but I imagine that whole area has a, a certain little, like, um, it's like another dimension quality. It's Yeah, it kind of is. So do you get, like, the local, you know, the blues band that plays on Monday being like, hey, man, heard you record at all? Is that, like, a thing? Do they even have blues bands up there? Yeah, sort of. I mean, like, the first couple of years I lived here, I didn't work with anyone local. I mean, not just because no one asked me, just because I didn't, you know, I didn't really know that many people. I barely knew anyone when we moved here. Like, I knew, like, two two people that lived here, maybe three people. But, uh, yeah, eventually the word got out, and I started working with local bands, and I probably worked with about nine or ten local bands at this point. That's cool. When you're sort of new-ish to an area as far as living, it's not going to be something where you... Able to dive dive in immediately and uh, start telling people, you know, that you got a fever and you need more cowbell. It's, it's, it's going to take a hot minute. Yeah. <laughs> so I've actually been working with a lot of uh, foreign bands since I moved up here. Like a lot of bands out of out of the country have been sending me albums to mix or master or both. Don't tell Donald Trump; he'll get super pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I, and have you been in? Well, I mean, from what? Germany? I'm gonna. I mean, like, what what countries are you are you getting stuff from? Just all over, or what's the kind of all over? Like uh, uh, Belgium, Israel, Australia, uh, Indonesia. Um, can't, I can't remember the rest off the top of my head, but kind of all over. I'm working with a band from Spain right now. Like what Very kind? Nice. What kind of music? 
uh, let's you say know, like rocks. Rocks Billy stuff. Skank. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's like that's exciting exposure. I wonder. I feel yeah. like it seems like a lot of um, recording studios have that kind of retreat vibe, or at least from what I mean. I don't have experience, but <clears throat> from what we've talked to and what I've heard from people, it's common to take people out of their environment and to help mm-hmm. them artistically. Yeah, it, it seems like a good thing as long as like the band members get along <laughs> like there's some bands where like people are sort of like always on the verge of breaking up they just really don't like each other and if if it's that kind of band they probably wouldn't do that well here because they're sort of like you know trapped with each other right right yeah you have to kind of enjoy each other's company and want to be in the same room because yeah. yeah yeah that that does sound suffocating in a way Depending Although, on by the same token, you know, because the now the studio is in a separate space than the living space, there's actually, you know, you can get away from what's happening in the control room or the live room. Cause my old place was just, you know, you're in the studio or you're outside. And there wasn't really anywhere, anywhere else to be, like a lounge or something. And the setup here, it's like, you know, the band has their own floor of the house, so they can go hang out in there. Or they can, you know, there's other, they don't have to be, like, right in the middle of the action all the time. Right, right, right. No, absolutely, and it's you know that's that's a nice thing. <laughs> that that I presumably that would be a like I said, I've never actually done it myself, but it seems lovely. Like that, I, I like the yeah. idea of it quite a bit. <laughs> so, getting back to uh, those guys and their single Fender Champ, and you jo- and you joining up with the fucking Champs, was there ever any overarching plan to being like, all right, it's going to be like Iron Maiden without the dopey parts, and you know we're going to like go like super aggressive like did you have like a, a plan at all because there were always elements i found were interesting and were like oh that sounds like kind of craft work s or something but like it's got crazy guitars going like there's synths involved like it's it, it, it kind of seemed like you were writing your you were making your own palette so to speak so, yeah i mean you know we just had real varied influences and we didn't it wasn't like a specific plan that you you're basically just like naming our influences and that's that comes through in the songwriting and stuff. As long, long as I'm not uh, like in best in show, being the guy that's just naming nuts. I mean, I suppose naming influences. <laughs> Silbert. Pine nut. <laughs> All natural white pistachio nut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we were we were in, we were really into metal, like uh, you know, current metal too, like uh, uh, like who, like Carcass and uh, Morbid Angel and stuff like that. You know, we'd go see those guys when they come play San Francisco. But at the same time, we were also into, like, Krautrock and, like, Pussy Galore and Classic Rock, all kinds of shit. Sure, sure. And that definitely, I, I, like I said, I think that all shows through because, I mean, I always had a difficult time sort of ex- explaining what you guys did. I was like, well, it's awesome. That's you, that's what you need to know, first of all. But then I'm going to say a bunch of stuff that doesn't necessarily go together, and you might think that that's not going to be good, but they make it really good. <laughs> yeah. Another thing was, like, we would consciously try and write songs that were so hard that we couldn't play them. <laughs> and we, we always joked that, like, once we wrote the heart, like, this, once we wrote a song that we literally couldn't play, then we would break up because there was nowhere else to go from there. And we would also kind of, like, we'd also write parts to sort of make each other laugh because we all sort of shared a very similar sense of humor and uh, really enjoyed making each other laugh. So we'd, like, write parts that we just thought were funny 
just as sort of like musical in jokes or whatever. Like, so just like like, hey, see what I did there? Like, or was it like trying to like you know mess the other guy up or just like is this ridiculous? Yeah, sort of. Nice. Or or you know trying to take like a a dark and heavy riff and turn it like made to the major scale and make it sound kind of goofy and funny. Right. Right. Well, and I always appreciate that it, it seemed like you guys had a real sense of humor about what you did, but you approached the actual music part seriously, even when you were almost like committing to a shtick, if, if you will. But it was all, it never felt lightweight. It just was like, oh, these guys clearly are, you know, they're not so overtly serious that they're, you know, sitting there in their castle, like staring at their chalice, <laughs> wondering if it's time to unleash their latest opus. Yeah, I mean we're I mean we're never like mocking anything that we're just sort of you know making music that made us laugh or made us happy or thought you know that was weird. <laughs> right. No. No. I mean that seems like a pretty good pretty good ethos as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So and then you guys kind of fit into a thing, and you were that you you kind of fit into a thing where there weren't a lot of bands also doing what you're doing. Former guest. Trans Am. I know you guys definitely had a huge bromance. I, I just I can't believe I just said bromance. I'm bromance. so sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, with those guys. What? What's wrong with bromance? I don't know. It's a, you, don't, you don't think that's an overused word? I like all the bro words. Okay. It's cute. All right. I actually really think like bromance, the actual, like not the word, but like what it is. Right. And man crushes are pretty much the most adorable thing ever. How about Brodeo? How do you feel? How do you feel about that? That's a whole different ball game. <laughs> it sure I'm, is. Into, I'm into I, it. I'm sure you've been to those shows. <laughs> I'm into it, but it's a different world. Uh, anyway, so you, you, Trans Am, there was a such an affinity with Trans Am that not only were was there um, the fucking champs and I'm uh, oh, sorry, the fucking Am and Trans Champs, Trans Champs, and then the fucking mm-hmm. Am. But at yeah. some point. Phil, former guest of the show and um, of also the awesome life coach, joined up. Like you, you, you changed changed the lineup for the first time in, in quite some time, and that kind of that was cool and interesting. But I was just it was also surprising because it kind of just seemed like to an outside observer that you guys were just gonna <laughs> kind of do that forever, and it was gonna be awesome. And then you ended up kind of doing it longer with a with a different lineup, and I thought that was. That was really interesting. I, was, I, I mean, did that? How did that come about? Did did Josh just say like, "Hey, I don't want to play anymore"? Or what's what's? Pretty much. I mean, we the last tour we did with Josh was in uh, 2002, like in the summer, I think, or maybe the fall. And then, uh, you know, I, I felt the same way that you just mentioned. But you know, I thought we were just going to be playing together forever because we got along so well and just enjoyed each other's company so much. I couldn't really imagine what could cause us to break up. And after that tour, uh, we just didn't hear from him for a while. Like, I think we got offered some festival in Miami, uh, <laughs> with like <laughs> <Wow>. outcast <laughs> with outcast and some other like big names. And they're like, going to pay us a bunch of money and fly us out there. Like warp tour. Was it warp tour? No, but it was like something like that. I would love to be and like, oh, I, it's Lagwagon and then the fucking champs. That would be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they 
they were offering us this thing and we couldn't get a hold of Josh. And then, you know, that turned into like six months that we couldn't get a hold of him. And uh, when he finally showed up and returned our calls and stuff, he just, you know, he met up with us and just told us that he didn't want to play music anymore. And he just didn't want to, he just wasn't interested. And uh, wow. so that's basically how he left the band. That was like uh, spring of 2003. And we, we kind of didn't know what to do. You know, we wanted to keep playing. We considered uh, getting another guitar player, but we thought, you know, Tim kind of wanted to switch back to guitar because he was kind of tired of playing drums. Right, because he considered so, himself a guitar player first. Like he was originally, yeah. A guitar I mean, he player. was a guitar. He was a guitar player first, yeah. and he's an incredible guitar player. He's amazing. I mean, amazing drummer too. But um, anyway, we thought, you know, we'd have him switch to guitar since he already knew most of the songs anyway. <laughs> right. And we tried to get a new drummer, and I kind of forgot that uh, Tim reminded me of this when I saw him last month, that we actually talked to Dale Crover about uh, playing drums with us. Oh, and wow. I, right, before, <laughs> right before you called me, I was going through some old emails and actually came across uh, the email exchange between Dale and me about that very subject from, like, 2003, which I totally forgot about. But yeah. uh, anyway, we, that didn't happen, but we ended up, trying to play with uh, Johnny, who's the drummer in Last of the Juanitas. Oh, who's, and, uh, who's fantastic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's an amazing drummer. I had done a record with them, and they had toured with us a couple times, and we were great friends and stuff, and we liked his drumming, and he came down, and we played together for about a week, and it just it just wasn't working. I mean, he's an amazing drummer, but it just was a totally different style, and uh, we, it just became a clear that it would be nearly impossible to find someone that plays drums the way that Tim does. He's got a very unique style. Like he has, yeah. and it's, he's really good, but he's, he's really good in a way that I don't think I've heard many people play quite like him. Like he's got a yeah. very musical style of playing drums. It's probably the best. Way yeah. And he, and he sort of approaches yeah. it as a guitar player. Like right. he knows how to accent stuff as a guitar player playing drums. So it's, it's a real unique kind of style. And uh, we just realized that, it would be easier to get someone to, to learn the songs on guitar than it would to find a new drummer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, I, and it's not, and I, I'm sure it would have been fantastic if Dale would have played with you as well. I mean, you know, obviously Dale's yeah, freaking fantastic. Cool. <laughs> I'm a big yeah. fan of myself. But and later, later that year in 2003, I was in D.C. I was, uh, I went out to the East Coast to record a band uh, in Martha's Vineyard, which uh, Ezra from Cite was in at the time. And then I went down to DC to work on uh, the fucking or the yeah it was the fucking M album at that point. I went down to DC to work on uh, some stuff with Trans Am. I was staying with Phil at the time, and I sort of you know he was asking what was happening with the Champs, and I told him what happened with us trying out a drummer and stuff, and I was saying how you know we decided it'd be easier to play on a guitar player, and I sort of jokingly said. You know, it'd be a lot easier if you just joined the band and you said, okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's easy. That was that. Which is great because, I mean, yeah, Phil's a fantastic guitar player. I mean, he's also, he's, you know, one of those, he's a great, great keyboard player, great bass player, a great all-around musician. But, like, it definitely was like, oh, huh, cool. <laughs> like, that was about my, my, my reaction, other than being, like, surprised that Josh would want to do not that I guess but I was like wow Phil that's fantastic and again when I saw that one of those first shows when you came back with that lineup it was badass it was great 
Loved it. Loved every second of it. Mm-hmm. It, it worked pretty yeah. seamlessly. It, yeah, it took a while. Like we we practiced for about a year with him before that first show, um, and a lot of the you know he was busy with other stuff like other bands like you know Trans Am mainly touring with them and sometimes Golden and Oneida. So it wasn't like I don't know. He he was throughout the time he was in the Champs. He was you know committed to other projects, so the Champs weren't really the priority. And that and that's got to be yeah that's that's a problem with when you got people that are a bunch of other bands yeah a bunch of other bands yeah one one of the bands I, I used to be in everyone else was in at least one other band and someone I was don't, in two so scheduling something it was just a nightmare I understand like passion but I don't understand that level of commitment because I mean I know you have to work really hard to get your creative career going and you know it's a lot to put into something and if you love it then you should do that but it seems in some ways unattainable to have more than one or two bands going on at the same time yeah yeah i I mean i've i've never that's never been me that that's for sure some people some people can pull it off but it it certainly makes it hard when you are are at a certain level as well because i mean at that point you know you guys were you know, very well established, you know, going out and touring. So it, it's definitely seemed like it would cut into a lot of time that to have these other concerns. Yeah. So, and then when, when stuff actually ended, it, it, it kind of seemed like there was just no communication at all. There was like maybe like whispers here and there. Uh, but then my understanding is that Tim moved to San Diego and you moved to Grass Valley and everyone just wasn't playing much anymore. Was that is that an accurate assessment? Pretty much. I mean, the the not playing part happened long before either of us moved. Um, I just you know I, I just got the sense that the other guys weren't really interested in doing the band anymore uh, after our last tour in two thousand seven. You know, we put out another album, and we did a couple tours. And uh, the last few years, I sort of sensed that the other guys were kind of drifting out of it, and you know, more and more interested in other things. And uh, I was doing a lot of the, a lot of the work, like booking tours and doing interviews and writing songs and just you know, kind of trying to keep it together. And after that last tour, I started to think, like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this because maybe I'm sort of forcing them to do something (laughs) they don't want to do. And I decided just to, like, take a step back and wait and see if anyone else sort of uh, picked up the reins or expressed an interest in doing anything. And I didn't hear from either of them for a long time. So I kind of figured that. That's a bummer. And that's, it's, it's, well, it's interesting to hear that because it's, I mean, that, I think that kind of thing happens on all different levels, but you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that that happens with more established acts as well. Like it's the same, you know, people, people's lives change, people's priorities change. Nothing in life yeah. is constant. It's always, it's always changing. Yeah. I think I was afraid to just come out and say, you know, do you want to do this band or not? Because I was afraid they'd say no. So I just sort of was like, you know, trying to go off of my perceptions, which, you know, could have been wrong for all I know. 
So, I mean, are you playing at all now? Like, are you play? Do you have a? Do you have some people up there that you play with? Are you? Do you have a thing that you're that you're working on at all musically? Not really. No, uh, my wife and I do songs every now and then. Usually, like a family member will request a song, and we'll do it with, under the name Giver. We have a you know the page up with you know, a handful of songs, pretty much all covers. And I, I still play on people's records uh, when I'm recording. People, I'll, I'll play sometimes, you know, on a song or two, or sometimes on the whole album. But other than that, I haven't really been playing. Like if somebody needs a wicked lead, like W Y K K Y D, wicked. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't really know how to play leads, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make up stuff. No, and I think that that's you know in. I don't know, that, that, that's a shame, but it also seems like, can't say I'm, I'm familiar with like the Grass Valley scene necessarily, but other than that Big Business Federation X show that happened sometime back, I can't think of any bigger acts that I'm immediately aware of that went over that. You probably would have to go to, what, Sacramento to see a bigger show or a weirder there's show? Actually, there's, there's quite a few venues here, and there's a lot of bands, and we get some decent bands, like John Spencer played here, Last year. Oh, no kidding. All right. All right, what do I know? Nothing. Black, Black Mountain played the night before that big business oh, show cool. that you mentioned. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's a nice week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's like an Oakland um, or San Francisco week. But I mean, like, you know, a lot of the bands are not, you know, they're kind of more mellow bands. I mean, there's a handful of heavier bands, but it's definitely not the kind of scene that it is in San Francisco and East Bay. Yeah. Well, it's a different environment. Yeah. Together. So it's. So then, as far as, um, you know, how, having a client base of like people that are recording with you, do you mostly have people like, is it referrals? Like someone like, hey, we recorded with Tim. You should go up and. Grass Valley's got this great place. Go and record with them. Like, how, how are people. Do people like find you on the internet? I don't even know how people find anything anymore. Like, there's <laughs> there are songs that are huge hits. I'm like, how in the name of fuck is that a huge hit? Like, I don't understand, like, how anyone knows about this song. It's not that it's a bad song. It's just that it's like, I don't, un- what? Why did? Why is that the thing that people know about? So, Well, you don't have Spotify also. I don't. Well, I have it, and I steadily accrue followers, but I never use it. And I'm like, and again, remember that I had a, wow. that, that earlier episode where I talked so about. So flippant. Well, because people like the idea of me without actually involved. <laughs> Only oh. with me. That was that was uh-huh. that was that. Like with Spotify, exactly. Uh, but I mean, how how do you get people bands coming in? Is it mostly like friends of friends? Is it you know, people that know you from you know Nation? Is it from uh, fucking Champs? Like what? How do people come in the door? It's word of mouth, and mostly it's just like people looking on the credits of albums that I've done and seeing my name and saying, "Oh, I, I like this record. Why don't we record with this guy?" Um, particularly like in the last couple of years, I've been having a lot of people say that the reason they looked me up was because of records that I did like 10 years ago, like, uh, Comets on Fire stuff or oh, yeah, Dark yeah. List. Which those are great records. I mean, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. People are specifically citing, you know, those records from about 10 years ago. That's the reason that they sought me out. Yeah. And that's a... I do think you have like one of the best studio names ever. I mean, Louder Studios. God damn it, that's fantastic. Well, it's pretty genius. Yeah, I've, been, I've, I've been talking for years about making uh, t-shirts for the studio, Louder t-shirts with the the Louder logo and the Louder motto, which is "Loud is beautiful if it's louder." <laughs> and, uh, that'd be an amazing t-shirt. 
I'd rock that. Yeah, I think I think I might do it this year. Um, I, I actually got the motto from a Serwin Vega T-shirt. Um, I think uh, my old roommate Sarah Lund from Unwound gave it to me. It had a big speaker on it, and it said, "Loud is beautiful if it's clean." And I kind of oh. lifted that logo for the studio loud uh, logo. Nice. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's. You know, it's it's easy to remember. It certainly evocative. Like it kind of kind of hits mm-hmm. all the. Hits all the check marks. You know, you you could tell somebody at a bar and where it's loud, and they would probably be able to understand what you're talking about <laughs> instead of you repeat it over and over again. No, yeah. louder! <laughs> and if you did, then suddenly you're in like a you know like a an old school comedy bit, and then that's funny in and of itself. You should make like yeah. a fog hat spoof. Is that louder? Well, turn it up. <laughs> oh, what was it? Freedom Rock? Was that that was? Freedom Rock. Yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> turn yeah. it up. We'll turn it up. <laughs> you can get Jim Carrey to dress up. It's a great idea. <laughs> wow, this production bill on this I, is my, skyrocketing. My creative. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that I could work out some sort of trade. Right. With Jim Carrey. It's, it's weird, too, because I, you know, I don't know if it's like a uh, life imitating art thing, but we. My wife and I were driving the other day, listening to the iPod, and every time a song that I would record came on on the shuffle, it would be like way louder than any other song. <laughs> I, That's funny. I'm not like I'm not like a you know super compression freak necessarily, and I use it, but I'm not like you know the song has to be louder than every other song on your iPod by any means. But somehow they they always seem to sound louder. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> that is funny. Well, that brings me to like the question of analog versus digital. Like, how do you feel about um, the different types of recording? I mean, I, I mainly work uh, analog, and pretty much always have. Uh, in more recent years, like in the last, I don't know, twelve or fourteen years, I've been doing some digital projects, but usually those are, you know, part part digital, part analog. And, you know, usually those are projects for maybe like once or twice a year. But since I've moved, I've been doing a lot more mixing, partly because mm-hmm. of my mm-hmm. location, you know. Uh, when people can't come here, you know, leave their jobs and stuff, they'll send me stuff to mix. And also working with a lot of foreign clients, they'll send me stuff to mix. And uh, so th- those jobs are pretty much usually all digital. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it seems like that'd be yeah. much more common these days. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my preference is certainly to work analog, but uh, when I do work digital, it's usually for mixing jobs. Hmm. And do you find it, like, do you enjoy that? Is that is it kind of like, you know, Cracker Jack box or something? Like when you get, get the prize and like, all right, what are, what are we getting with this one? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I... You know, I, I enjoy the aspect of mixing digitally, but you can sort of automate stuff. Um, that's the main benefit to me. Um, other than that, I don't find it to be that different for mixing analog. Like if you were to have a session you were mixing an album on an automated board, it wouldn't be that different than mixing digitally. Right, right. I mean, yeah, good good mix is going to be a good mix. <laughs> one, one, one or the yeah. other, really, is what it comes down to. It's... I mean, my, my main thing is that 
I just I won't work with Pro Tools because I just fucking hate it. <laughs> and I, uh, for you know, for years, whenever I'd mix digital stuff, it was always tricky because most people use Pro Tools and expect you know they expect that other people will use it as well. And uh, it's only in the last like three or four years that I discovered Reaper, which I've been using pretty much exclusively for any digital stuff I've been doing. And uh, I really can't say enough good things about it. It's just amazing. Yeah, I, actually, uh, I, I don't use it, but I know people that absolutely swear by it, but I also don't really record. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, I know tons of people that just are over the moon about it. Yeah, it's just, it, you know, it does everything that Pro Tools does, and it's really cheap, and they constantly update it based on user feedback for free. They don't charge you for upgrades. I mean, with Pro Tools, it's like you buy a version and then it's obsolete, you know, within a year or two unless you pay another $1,000 to upgrade <laughs> yeah, it's, it. It's kind of a racket. It's kind of a racket. It is. So, and I, I, it's funny, the way I started, I mean, I sort of dabbled with Reaper here and there. Like, I, uh, the first Christian Mistress record that I did in 2011, Relapse wanted all these uh, stem mixes for, Remixes, like, Guitar right? Hero. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, for, like, like video games and uh we you know we did the record all analog so after the fact i had to transfer it into digital and then make all these like sub mixes and i ended up using reaper for that and i kind of dabbled in with it recent i mean like after that here and there but i didn't really dive into it until two summers ago i was uh i was going to be mixing records this band oxo which is uh chris spencer from unwound and Steve Austin from Today is the Day, and they told me there was going to be like, you know, 80 tracks per song. Oh my and Jesus. Up, up to that point, I'd been using another uh, digital platform that was kind of a little unstable using that many tracks. So I thought, well, this is my chance to really dive into Reaper and see, you know, see if it works for me. And I kind of did it without really knowing that much about it and just like dove into mixing this really complex album and it was great i mean it's just like it's totally intuitive and you can customize everything about it and just worked flawlessly and that was a so and that's uxo uxo right is that how mm-hmm. you, that's how you say that okay that's yeah the band the record's actually coming out next week oh cool oh wow wow all right that's timely <laughs> fantastic and according according to facebook they typically reply within an hour that's apparently a new feature <laughs> i haven't seen Wait, what? It tells you? <laughs> I looked at their Facebook page, and it's, it, yeah, it says typically replies within an hour. Wow. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea either. <laughs> uh, so, so you've recorded a lot of different kinds of bands. I mean, because you recorded that from Monument to Masses record, which is fantastic, but it kind of um, op- they sort of operated in a uh, circle that, like a little bit outside of the you know like the the heavy world maybe Mm -hmm. uh but it it, kind of you know there's a lot of stuff that you worked on that kind of feel like and they were very popular in in their circle for sure but there's a lot of stuff like like that's that last boy jazz record is fantastic that 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 you did i love that it's great but it's also like i I don't know that the timing was wrong or like what but it's like it's kind of like a lost article but it's fucking great like it's everything that i always wanted that band to be 
Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. One of my favorite bands ever. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite records I've ever done. Yeah, and it's uh, and of course the the boy jazz record that, that I'm speaking of is uh, I think it's Unlimited Nights and Weekends. I believe I believe is the name. Mm-hmm. Of it. Yeah, and yep. and they were always a, a fantastic band to see live. Just a really like bad like I originally sort of characterized them as oh it's like ZZ Top from the future with like a healthy dose of like tar or something. and people would like look at me really confused i was like no no it's like it's interesting rock and roll you'll like it you'll like it trust me you'll like it i do that a lot uh so i mean do you have records that uh you know like that just are like wow this is fantastic like but nobody knows who the hell this is that you've done oh yeah for sure yeah I mean, like, all the Drunk Horse records, I, you know, they're like a grossly unrecognized band. I mean, they're like another one of my favorite bands of all time. And uh, all the records are amazing, so particularly that the third one was probably my favorite record that we did together. Was that a, we had some... Adult Situations? Is that that one? Or... Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah we that'd... just had so much fun making it, and it's such a great album. Um, and... Uh, I know there's, there's so many, there's so many bands that, you know, I just, records that I've done that I think are completely amazing, but people just don't know about them. Uh, there's this band called The Young from Austin, Texas that I did a record with a few years ago on Matador, and they're, they're just amazing, and the, the record came out really, really great. Um, I ended up playing on almost every song and wrote a lot of parts for the album and really, like, put myself into it, and a lot of the heads dug it you know like the the guys at relapse and matador and all these label people really loved it but it got kind of shitty reviews and i don't know i don't know how well it sold i don't have I don't know if i've ever talked to anyone who actually has heard of them well, yeah and I, I you just you just told me what was a minute ago and i already forgot what was the what was the name of it again it was the young the young like y-o-u-n-g mm-hmm. yep never heard of it oh okay yep. Someone in the chat box says the young's incredible. Oh, okay. Yeah, great. Oh, there you go. That's apparently I'm behind the times on it. All right, I'll check check that out. Uh, I mean, as I know the young gins as <laughs> as, a, as a for instance. Uh-huh. <laughs> Different band though. Different band. Yep. So that that was a and you know I assume that that was like a playoff of like. Young Guns or something with like Greg Ginn? Am I remotely on point with that? No, nothing to do with the Young Guns, but yeah, the Greg Ginn. Yeah, correct. I mean, it's spelled. You know, we're sort of like uh, we're sort of devotees of Greg Ginn style and uh, ethos. You're no part the Black Flag ethos, at least. You know, and that's uh, yeah, that's how we came up with the name. And that's you and Justin and uh, Brant from Unwound. Mm-hmm. Uh. And that was, that was always something that I saw, and I was like, I'd see that record, and I'm like, and then it had that that the um, that the cover. I was like, oh, that's so mysterious looking. I wonder what that sounds like. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, these it's like their take on on this young gins. I get it. Like, I, I didn't catch the gray gin thing at first at all, and then I was like, oh, yeah, fuck, oh yeah, of course, duh. <laughs> like, I got it immediately. Yeah, we are. 
we actually formed the band uh, before, while I was still living in D.C., uh, Unwound was on tour, I guess, 91 or 92, I forget which, maybe 92. And uh, for some reason, they were in D.C. for a couple of days. I don't know if they had a show fall through or what, but uh, me and Justin and Brant ended up just jamming together in our practice space and came up with the band name and just sort of, you know, had this band in our heads. And then when I ended up at Olympia, we started playing together for for real yeah no it's it's a it's 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 a awesome and uh star-studded footnote in, in a in a in a star-studded history uh-huh. uh, and again i should have figured out greg and me like i and even was a huge black flag fan and now it just t- completely escaped me until i like was like looking at it later i'm like oh <laughs> i get it face palm yeah a little bit so, um, and, and then it's, so going, going back in time like that, Nation of Ulysses seems like one of those bands that kids sort of discover when they hit a certain age, like they, you know, they, they find their like Fugazi, they find their Nation of Ulysses, things along those lines, um, which as we all know, you can't eat prestige. So that doesn't, that doesn't really help as far as paying the bills, but, uh, that's gotta be kind of like an interesting thing. Cause that was, a, I mean, that was a long time ago. That's a long, you've done a ton of stuff since then. I mean, do you ever mm-hmm. run into people that like, oh, I own, you know, you have a new band? And it's like, man, that was that was like the early 90s, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard to gauge how well-known the band is because, I don't know, it still seems pretty underground to me. And, it, you know, the albums still sell, like, you know, I still get royalty checks, not very much, but, you know, they, they still sell, like, uh, I don't know, like 500 copies a year or something, or maybe a thousand, I forget. Which, but they still sell consistently. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, that's, pretty damn good. That's more than most bands ever sell at all. Especially these <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, truthfully, the sad it's reality. Still, it, still seems, it still seems pretty obscured underground to me, because most people I meet have never heard of it. So. Well, but I think what's interesting is that when you when you do find people that that do know about, it, they're like, "Oh man, Nation Ulysses, awesome!" Totally, like people are stoked about it. Like it seems to mean a lot more. Well, I mean, and I never, yeah, I never saw you play, but it I seemed- guess that's, it's kind of the same thing with the champs. Like it's a real sort of like cult following. Like, right? You know, there's not not that many people know about the bands, but if they do, they really like them, and I I prefer that kind of following you know the quality over quantity yeah i mean that's a good that's a pretty good ethos i'd say overall mm-hmm. yeah quality over quantity the tim green story <laughs> <laughs> so i uh, i mean do you ever have uh like i do you keep up with with any of those guys like is that like are those relationships still there i know everyone does different things but yeah, I, I talk to uh, Ian and James every once in a while, you know, a couple times a year. And uh, Steve Gamboa, the bass player, has been living in Bali for a long time, for like eight years or something. And Oh, wow. Okay. I actually, we were actually, my wife and I were going to go over there about four years ago, and we were going to stay with him. And I ended up having some problems with my passport, and I couldn't go. Oh, no. And oh. I, I haven't really been in touch with him since then, but I think he's still over there. Oh man, that's that that's a bummer. Yeah, that's it's not it's not very often you can say like, Oh yeah, I got I got a bro in Bali. I can <laughs> go hang go hang out there for a hot minute. Yeah. 
yeah, but you know, we're we're more or less still in touch. Uh, the one exception is Steve Croner, the other guitar player. No one really knows where he is or what he's doing. Um, but yeah, every, every once in a while, someone will try and get us to do like a reunion show or something. Like the Jabberjaw people were trying to get us to do something for the Jabberjaw book or whatever. Oh, sure. Yeah, but yeah. And then also, actually, just a few weeks ago, James wrote me saying that someone else was trying to get us to do a reunion. And uh, he and I spoke about it at a friend's wedding about three or four years ago up in Portland. And I don't know how the rest of the guys feel about it, but I told him how I felt about it, which was that I just feel like it would be like thoroughly hypocritical for, for that band to do a reunion just because the band was so about like youth culture and youth energy that it would just be ridiculous for you know a bunch of dudes in their mid forties to to get together again and do that. And I you know, I love those guys and I'd I would love to play with them, but it just it would just be embarrassing to do a reunion. Are you feeling you're getting like a I don't know, like refused might be a good example. Oh, yeah. Well, no, no, no. People I know that went said it was a great show, but it is. Yeah, I mean, Nation Ulysses was definitely a youth-centric band, and there, you know, there were. I mean, I loved all the crazy, like the manifestos, and and everything that like went with it. But I mean, it takes aside all of that imagery and all that. I mean, it's a pretty hellacious rock and roll band. I mean, I, I yeah. know, you, I know, you can still play rock and roll, Tim. Come on, I mean, <laughs> you're not like going to be like on a like a what is it? What is it, a walker? Yeah, walk, you're not going to be on a walker upstage like being put over by your <laughs> instrument, right? Yeah. Well, the sentiment. I mean, yeah, I mean, we could. I think we're physically capable of playing the songs, but I just still think it would be ridiculous and sort of disingenuous for that band specifically to do a reunion. I'm, yeah, the sentiment I'm hearing is like things change and some things like their relevancy changes in a way that if you relive it, <clears throat> it would uh, do more, maybe like detract from the original sentiment. Sure, sure. Totally, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like I have too much respect for the, you know, what the band was to defile it by doing it again. Well, we're in such a weird time now that it went from being reunions being like a relatively rare thing to being like, oh, okay, that's weird. That's that's happening to like freaking everyone's doing it to like, like, does any band stay dead anymore now? It's just like it seems like every <laughs> band is like getting together and playing. It's like, didn't you just break up? You're back together again. Yeah. huh? All right. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, I've but seen... sometimes it's cool because then you can see bands you never got to see before. And that's interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> I feel I it's weird though when you see like the reality of people getting older too and kind of like I mean there's a time <clears throat> of certain things for a reason I guess and it's cool like we saw Cheap Trick play that one time yeah it's badass and it was really cool you even, know even without Bunny Carlos it still was a great show it was really cool I've seen some bands that were like kind of like give it a rest or, or you know not give it a rest Pixies. like like i love you guys <laughs> but like seriously you're kind of beating a dead horse here yeah which i mean it's it's smart to acknowledge that possibility it is not always the case with every band but o overstaying their welcome 
Yeah, because you you <laughs> yeah. don't want to be ma- you don't want to be a mockery. Be that guy, the last guy at the party. Hey guys, what are we drinking now? We're drinking sleep. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> Go home. <laughs> yeah, it's also a little like sort of a self-centered uh, attitude to think that the world needs your band back again. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's a special mission. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I recently have realized like my own hesitant uh hesitance to or like fear of change being more like into comfort and i kind of just musically was like well fuck it i'll just listen to anything i don't care (laughs) yeah you know like if i like it i like it i don't care where it came from exactly if i don't like it you know i've like been listening to a lot of edm artists back in my day we called it raves and techno (laughs) But back in my day, we called back it raves. <laughs> Just imagine a grandma saying that. That's going to be a thing that happens at some point. Back in my day, we called it techno. That's one time I saw Jane's addiction. I was so tripped out of my balls that I fell down and broke my hip. I actually did see Jane's addiction play when I was 11. I was not tripping. <laughs> You're not tripping balls. <laughs> my mom might have been, but I don't think she was. I think she was just probably high. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyways, moving on. You know, there's a certain point when I think it's really healthy to acknowledge like things that you never thought should be relevant and now they're relevant. It's like, you know, you kind of have to go with it because I this man yesterday was complaining about people's entitlement to me. And I was like, well, what do you think that's all about? Like, why do you think people are so selfish these days? Is it the Internet or like what? And he was like, it's your generation. (laughs) And I was like. He said it's it made you, you personally culpable. He <laughs> said it's you guys' generation to me and my coworker. My coworker, mind you, is ten years younger than me, and I was like, "Man, you don't know how old I am." I and clearly, you just made like a huge ageist statement and made yourself look bad, even though I like you and I think you're really smart and funny. But like, you just put yourself in this really awful category that I don't think you ever want to be. But you know, like. It's important to acknowledge that change, I guess, and not be bitter about it. That's all. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Musically. It's like, like taking the shotgun approach to uh, old man yelling at cloud. Just <laughs> <laughs> whoever gets hit, gets hit. I, yeah. I just, you know, acknowledging the fact that some things are no longer relevant and that's okay. We can move on. Yeah. Speaking of moving on. Oh so the... Of the many amazing records that you've done, there's the the Melvin's trilogy, the the, the first Ipecac records, and mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I, that's that's a band that has you know asked me what my favorite record is on a day to day basis, and it you know it might be different, but that's a very unique uh, series that uh, that you did. You you recorded those. They sound great. Good job. Thanks. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> so, you, were, you know, the Melvins were Melvins were actually the very first band that recorded it louder. You know when. When the studio was first called Louder, uh, they were the first band. They were the guinea pig. So one of the things I find so interesting is on those records is that like with the bootlicker, it's it's so managed to achieve its tone and feel without any use of of yeah. It sounds like there's not like any you know distortion at all. Like it's it's a very like mellow record in a way, but still manages to sound exactly like them. And I think that's a very unique thing I haven't heard too much. Was that something that, I mean, what, what were the, 
where there, there are these um, ideas coming into it. That we, this one's going to sound like this. This one's going to sound like this. This one's going to be like that. Or did that just sort of develop naturally? Or, you know, what happened? Did somebody see a well, Fender champ? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> a, lot, a lot of those uh, guitar and bass tracks were actually recorded direct. That's that's part of the, the reason for the sound. Oh, sure. Okay. But, but uh, the, I mean, the concept of that album was, you know, to be the quote-unquote quiet album, which uh, they had started doing this, I guess, around 90, 91 or 92. Uh, I think I might have actually been at the first show that they did a, a quiet set, and I don't think it was planned. <laughs> it was uh, it was in D.C. It was right outside D.C. in Bethesda, and uh, they are playing like some com- community center. And they were playing super quiet, and you know they they have songs where they'll play super quiet, and then they'll get really loud. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, they just every time they're supposed to get loud and heavy in the song, they would turn down even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was like it was pissing people off, and they were they were kind of digging how it was pissing people off. And so I think they I think they started doing that more uh, as the years went on. And in '94. I put on a show for them in Olympia with Lice. Um, we shared equipment, and uh, you know, we Lice played through a lot of amplification. Like I played through two Model Ts, through a four twelve and a two fifteen, and the bass player played through a Sun Coliseum with a, through two thousand watt EVs and a Sun Cab. It was all Sun stuff, and uh, it was, we were really fucking loud. <laughs> And so the Melvins get up there, it's at the Capitol Theater in Olympia, and they're playing through, you know, all this amplification, and they're barely audible. And the show was packed, and it was, the, show, the show was packed with, like, all their old friends from Aberdeen and right, um, right. all that area. And they're expecting, you know, the Melvins Rager set, and they just keep getting quieter and quieter. <laughs> and it was seriously, there's almost a riot. Like, people got really angry. Like, oh my God. people were, like, throwing shit at them. One guy, like, tackled the bass player. It was Mark at the time. They tackled Mark on stage because they were so pissed off. Wow. That's hilarious. The Melvins, uh, the Melvins live for pissing people off. Oh, yeah. They love, yeah. they love it. But they love it. They love it. So I think that album wow. was, you know, a, a sort of a, came out of that whole thing of them doing these quiet sets. And they actually did a tour, uh, maybe before we did that album, I can't remember, where they did specifically did entire quiet sets. Yep. And they used, like, a stripped-down set. Yep, and it still sounds like them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I remember I, I saw them, I saw them once. They did, they did like this super like loud, hyper aggressive like oh, all the best rockers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People were like the bros were getting stoked and starting a pit, and then they play the anti vermin seed, which is like a fifteen minute song that just is like yeah, like, sub audible, like just creep. And people were getting fucking furious, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the best!" Because I was just thinking, like, "Oh man, these bros are like getting out of control. That's a bummer." And I was like, "Wow, what is what a what a bold and hilarious move!" That and then it was so great to see people's reaction of just like being angry about it, like, "What? Fuck this!" this yeah, no. that's kind of yeah, it's pretty it's amazing really, that they could inspire that kind of anger. Yeah, that's like <laughs> that's like genius in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So there's that one, and of course there's there's the maggot, which is like the loud one, like it's the like loud, mm-hmm. you know, the crazy. Yeah. There's that there's that awesome, uh, really like Peter Green Fleetwood Mac cover that Judas Priest mm-hmm. already did. Um, all rock, and then there's the Crybaby, which has got all the uh, 
all the all the guests, all, all, all the different guests. Uh, so it kind of plays like a comp. So it's the Melvins all the way through, but then there's uh, there's different folks singing on and then collaborate on on each song. So like that's got to be like a weird record to record since you know these people are not all in the room at the same time. So mm-hmm. like w- w- how did that how did that come to be when you were recording it? Was was it kind of like you know by the strict arrangements? Was it like oh let's just record this and uh, see what happens? Yeah, I mean, there was, like, a lot of bits and pieces kind of lying around. Like, uh, you know, it wasn't done in a linear fashion as you would, like, a normal tracking session. You know, we would do a few songs here, a few songs there. Like, like David Yao came in, and we did, like, two or three songs with him. I think we ended up using one for the album. And then uh, another time, Hank Williams III came in, and we did two or three songs and, you know, used one for the album. And then in other cases we would record, you know, drums and guitar, drums and bass, and send those tracks out to whoever was collaborating with them. And they, that person would either mix them or more likely they would send the tracks back and we would mix them. Right. It was, it was you know, it was kind of a disjointed uh, process. It took, it took a while. Yeah, but I mean, the, it, I think the results definitely speak for themselves. It came out fantastic, but it, I, I got to imagine, like, it must be interesting to make an entire record that way mm-hmm. because just because there's so many disparate elements to it it seems seems yeah like kind of strange but of a course, lot of different a lot of different formats too like uh uh recording formats because this was sort of before sort of before digital uh like uh computer recording was really you know standardized sure yeah so a lot of a lot of the stuff was like transferred to adat or uh da88 a lot of a lot of weird different formats. Oh, yeah. Adat, yeah, I remember. I remember really Adats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's well, and it's interesting that I mean, do you feel like that as technology has sort of moved forward with recording? That I mean, what what changes have you seen with how that affects the writing and recording process? Do you, I mean, do you, do you think that that like this easy availability and sort of you know, of easy universal format is like an like good like is that the thing that you think is a net addition or is that something that is an enabling i I mean it's kind of there's there's good and bad things about it like the good being that you know people can record whole records that sound pretty decent in their bedrooms and uh they can you know focus a lot of creativity over spread out over a long time rather than having to like pay a lot of money to be in a studio and bash it out. And then the downside is that, you know, people can get away with being kind of shitty musicians <laughs> by <laughs> cheating, cheating with a lot of digital editing and stuff. Right, right. Yeah, it's definitely different than... Boy, I guess this is... Uh, Aging guy says stuff is different than it used to be would be the headline for that particular statement. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's crazy how stuff is different now that it's not the past. Get off my lawn. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's different. It's different. It's different. That's it. One thing I wanted to make sure to talk to you about, and this is going to be, there's no easy way to segue into this, the police blotter stuff. <laughs> it's hilarious. How did how did you come to 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 be like, oh, the police blotter. This is this is good stuff. Just absurd observations and, and like 
like little bite-sized segments. Yeah, I well, you know, I started reading the local paper here uh, maybe around 2007 or 2008, around the time we were thinking of moving here and starting to look at places. And I started reading the local paper, and I guess I started reading the blotter partly just to see, like, what areas <laughs> had more crime than others. Right, right. Uh, so we could so we could avoid buying a house in that area, but um, <laughs> you know, sure, the, yeah, yeah. I pretty pretty quickly realized that it was kind of an amazing source of uh, you know the absurdity of humanity. Well, some of them and, are uh, like the, like the saddest one sentence short stories. You know, I mean, yeah, and some of them are just hilarious because you know it's hilarious if you don't have to deal with it. hilarious if you it's just probably not hilarious if you're in the situation. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. They're, I don't know if people are just crazier here, <laughs> or if uh, they're just more quick to call nine one one for any reason, <laughs> for, for no reason. Uh, but yeah, I, I started collecting the blotter entries around two thousand eight. Just started, you know, like copying and pasting them and keeping a, a long file of all my favorites, and I've got quite a collection now. And for a while, I was talking about wanting to do like a coffee table book, like yeah, a, I'd buy know, that. you know, choosing my favorites and then doing like a illustration next to it. Although my wife was saying that we should do like you know photo reenactments, <laughs> which would which would also be cool, but it would be a lot more labor intensive. Definitely, no, I think that's I, I apparently like I, I found out like three years ago that someone beat me to it. Uh, sort of a friend of a friend up here uh, did like a pocket size sort of book with uh you know blotter entries and illustrations but he left out a lot of good ones so i feel like there's still room for another book out there and i'm actually friends with uh one of the reporters at the paper and she is usually the one who does the blotter and uh, i've talked to her about this idea and you know she's open to it and for those that are not familiar with this i'd, I'd like to i'd like to at this time read one of my favorite entries of mr <laughs> tim green's blotter uh, this is this is one nevada county 4 33 p.m a caller from bank street in hansen way reported a man with no pants on was stuck in a toddler swing he could not be located <laughs> what? <laughs> well apparently he got out of the swing and you know got the fuck out of dodge but <laughs> And we should we should clarify that a lot of people think that I'm like listening to a police scanner or something, but uh, this is just like the local paper reprints the police log, basically like logging nine one one calls, and they just sometimes they're you know reprinted verbatim from what the cops have written down, and other times I think they're you know sort of translated to you know be more succinct. Right. Um, exactly. Wow. No, I mean, I've actually, you know, my the person that I know that writes for the paper has actually consulted with me a couple of years uh, running where they, at the end of the year, they do sort of a best of the blotter because in in the past four or five years, uh, people have realized that, you know, people in the newspaper have realized that that's why a lot of people buy the paper is just to read the blotter <laughs> because it's so funny. And they've actually, you know, like local news in Sacramento has done a bunch of pieces, you know, news news pieces on our local paper and the blotter specifically. So we, we have this best of the blotter thing at the end of the year, and my friend who writes for the paper has, you know, asked me for my, my entries for the, the best of for a few years. I mean, it's kind of one of the best cases for Facebook I can think of, to be honest. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. 
It, yeah, it, a lot of people have told me it's the only reason they stay on Facebook is to to see these blotter entries. It's it's fantastic. I mean, it's always I, it's. It's it's an instant laugh every time. It's just like, oh my god, <laughs> that's Wait, awesome. What, what yeah. is the exact title? Oh, they're just these police blotter entries that he he finds in it. No, no, posts. no. I mean the title of the Facebook page. Tim, it's Graham. not a page. Oh, there, it's just someone, your your quotes. Okay, sorry. Yeah, someone You're, someone did actually start a page up here recently uh, to share, you know, the, their their favorite blotter entries. I just found out about it recently and joined it. Here's here's another. I, I, yeah, I just post them, you know, uh, just put okay, like the time and. They're yours, okay. Here's another good recent one. Nevada County, eleven fifty three a.m. A caller from Rodeo Wape reported a physical fight over chocolate chip cookie dough. A boy was threatening to stab his father in his sleep, and now was locked in his bedroom. The cookie dough issue, cookie dough issue, was resolved. <laughs> <laughs> some of them, some of my favorite ones are just like more abstract. Like one of my favorite ones of all time is. A caller reported four kidnapped children, all named Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> and then, and there's a, there's there's a town uh, right next to where we live called Rough and Ready, and all the street names are really like comical names. And uh, there, there's a, a, a blotter entry that was a uh, caller reported gunshots on Teddy Bear Way. <laughs> It's just another one that's you know it's it's kind of not that eventful or funny, but just the fact that it's Teddy Bear Way is pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah, anything you that you tag with Teddy Bear Way is going to be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's awesome. So unfortunately, someone beat you to the book, huh? Yeah, yeah, I was pretty bummed about that, but you know, more power to him. Would be really funny. Uh, also, there's a there's like a publisher or. I don't know what it is, but there's a publisher that does these blotter books for different areas around the states, and uh, apparently they've also done one, but I haven't checked it out. Oh, that's... You could have, like, a whole community of people that are super into this across the United States. Well, like I said, some of them are just the world's saddest short story in a sentence, but, like, some of them are really hilarious. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I get it. We've we've been in the blotter a couple times. Uh, we were in there last year, like maybe four months ago, because we heard uh, uh, some gunshots like late at night that sounded really close, and we thought it was worth calling in. Wow. And then uh, another time, uh, about six years ago, we got in there because uh, this is during the year where we're living half-time here and half-time in San Francisco because I was building a studio. I was also recording Hell and Rain at the same time for about seven months. And uh, when we would go back down to the city, we'd lock up the gate here to get into the property. But apparently someone uh, cut the lock and brought a stolen car here and stripped it and left the shell of the car here. What? <laughs> so we, we ended up in the blotter because of that. Holy crap. That's crazy. Yeah. You weren't even there for it. Yeah, I know. You missed all the <laughs> excitement. Man. Yep. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say I missed it, Brenna, but <laughs> that's wow. That's insane, huh? Well, there you go. That's uh, that's 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 the police blotter, I guess, huh? It's sooner or later we all end up in the blotter. <laughs> wow. That could that could almost be a fucking champ song title. Yeah. <laughs> or is yeah? Is it that sounds like the ether or something? It's like some metaphorical. Yeah, well, you could be. Yeah. Like, it's like blotter acid, bro. Sooner yeah. or later, y'all end up in it. 
<laughs> True. <laughs> no, really, you're actually in it. No, you don't get you don't get it, man. You just don't get it. Uh, so. Tim, this has been great. Thanks for thanks so much for being on the show, man. I'm, I'm glad, yeah. I, I know we uh, we, we we're going back and forth on it for a while. I'm, I'm glad we got to make it happen. Yeah, thanks for having me. And if uh, people are looking to record with you, is the best way to get a hold of you the louderstudios.com and you get some contact stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you can uh, send Tim an email, and uh, you can tell him all about your blotter acid fantasies and. <laughs> He will record you in a fantastic looking and sounding room up in Grass Valley. Uh, any anything else you'd like to like to mention while we while we got you for a little longer? Uh, I don't think so. Well, thank you so much for doing it. It's it's fantastic to have you. And um yeah, I'm I'm you know, always always a fan of whatever you're up to. So if, if any any you have any other musical thing happening, come to me. Come to me. Come to my show. Right. Come on other people's shows. Come on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you come to me, that. Green. You come to me, all right? <laughs> uh, seriously, Tim, thanks so much for doing it, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, there he is, Mr. Tim Green. Uh, let's uh, let's hear a song. This is What's a Little Rain, and it's R-E-I-G-N.
All right, that's the fucking champs with what's a little rain? R E I G N. Rain. Get it? Get it? I do. Oh, man. Well, I totally lost track of time there. That was a uh, good times. So, uh, Mr. Mr. Tim Green. Find find him uh, find him on all the social medias and uh, to get those police blotter stories. Yeah. Find all his excellent music and all the places that you would normally find excellent music. There you excellent. go. We believe excellence. Uh, ex- excellence. Excellence. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's that's the show. Thank you for listening to it. Many thank yous. All the thank yous. Excellent! There we go. <laughs> I was working on that. Uh, you can find this show, Predominant Reversal, every Thursday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Podcasts are up at radioneutron.com. Oh, fuck. We're like an episode behind. Shit. <laughs> oh, you just realized. Okay. Usually up in a timely manner, less so this week. Um, Life happens. It does. We got a Facebook page if you want to be on that thing. Um, Mr. and Mrs. America. Rated on iTunes if that's a thing that sounds interesting to you to do to help out the show. Tell a friend if you like it. That's even more helpful. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Telephone, telegraph, tell a friend. Um, next week. I've got Jason Myers, author. Watts of power. That should be Makes interesting. Makes his return to the show. I'm looking forward to it. He's a, he's a fascinating dude. Mm-hmm. True. We got, we got some other good stuff coming up. So uh, stick with us. Radionope.com. Radioneutron.com. Check you later. Into electricity. Check you later, indeed. Can you hear me now? Out on Route 128, in the dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the, it's the end of radio. The last announcer plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter. Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? If there's no one there to receive It's the end of radio As we come to the close of our broadcast day See?